All rise in the courtroom and to those listening on stream for the dishonorable badger is entering the scene. Apparently doing this as a day job simply was not enough. So let your jaws drop to the floor cause we can't make this stuff up. Welcome back to the legal fun house. We put the fun in dysfunctional. It's crazy in the legal fun house but weirdly educational. But every single one is remarkably true. to law school and is more than qualified to talk about the strangest cases from the strangest people alive and the friend that he brought along barely past eighth grade whose legal experience lies within parking in the fire lane welcome back to the legal fun house we're just as confused as you it's finally time for the legal fun house and without further ado Every single one is remarkably true. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Oh, my God, it has been so long since we have all gathered here together at the Legal Fun House. I am, as you know, your host, the Boozy Badger, Boozy Barrister, for a one-hour podcast where we discuss legal matters, things that happen in the legal world, the practice of law in general. The last episode that I recorded of this was in October of last year. October of 2021, with the promise that we were restarting and things were coming back to normal. I lied. I lied horribly and I lied loudly to you. It was, of course, my intention to begin the show again, but um, shit happened. It got in the way. So now I'm back and I'm recording it live with this solemn promise. I'm not going to make any more promises to you. I'm not going to make a single promise. So, if you are new, or if you've just forgotten, Boozy's Legal Funhouse is a one-hour show by an attorney where we talk about legal issues, we talk about cases, we talk about legal news, we talk about the practice of law. It's recorded live on Twitch once a week. We're hopefully going to be changing up the format a bit. And before we get into that, Before we go into anything else, I do have to do our standard disclaimer. This is an informational and educational and hopefully entertaining show about legal matters. I am a lawyer, but I'm not your lawyer. The only way I become your lawyer is if you come into my office, I agree to represent you, you sign a retainer agreement, and you hand me a retainer of your choosing, which, as we'll get into tonight, you can't fucking do anymore. Um, so keep in mind that while I'm an attorney, I'm not you're an attorney. I'm not you're, you're an, attorney. an attorney. You're an attorney. You I, I am the law school. I am the you're an attorney. It's a it's a shitty job. 
I'm still getting it. By the way, if you're listening to this after the recording of it, uh, as I said at the very opening, this is live. I do this live. We don't do cuts. We do minor editing. If I fuck up, it stays in. Two reasons. One, warts and all. I believe that if you're going to listen to my shows, that if you're going to ask me questions, if you're going to become a fan of the wonderfulness that is boozy, you have to accept me warts and all. Two, I am lazy as fuck, and I am technologically inept. I cannot figure out how to edit shit. We just rip the audio and put it on Spotify. It works for me, motherfucker. (laughs) I am not... Your attorney. Uh, If you want an attorney in your area, I encourage you to go to your local bar association. Please understand nothing that we're going to discuss tonight is legal advice. No attorney-client privilege attaches. You can't just say a cartoon badger guy on the internet told me this and therefore is my lawyer. Before we get rolling tonight, before we get going, I do need to read off the names of the wonderful people who have, over the last year of me not doing jack and shit related to this show, maintained their support over at patreon.com slash lawyers and liquor. So a very special thank you to the following $5 and above level supporters. Dragor, Petroff, Neutrino, Tezcat, Magic, Jag, Wayland, Roche, Beaten, Dozer, Trash, Panda, Mama T, Uncle Kage, Evelyn Klein, Lisa Lupe, Lufus the Raccoon, Netherlinks, Pandemonium Hawk, Buddy Goodboy, CC Otter, Chroma Hydra, David Hunter, Eddie the Weather Fox, Flat Fox, Ghost Goat, Grace Jane Gollinger, Head Fox, and Ian Delahorn, Jason Knight, Jerry A., John Michael Carden, Julie Esslinger, Just James Lack, Mark Whipple, Michael Blocker, Nikolai, Red Fox 01230, Scuba Fox, The Dragon Show, and Tiny Voices. Thank you so much for your support over the past year. So, it has been a year. And the topic of tonight's show is going to be why it has been a year. In the past, I've talked about legal principles. I've talked about attorney mental health. I've talked about uh, certain aspects of practicing law. And tonight, tonight on Boozy's Legal Funhouse, hallelujah, praise the Lord, I have moved on from where I was into the legal promised land. What does that mean? Well, we'll get to it. And I've got a special guest. If you've listened to the past shows, you'll know that occasionally I will have an attorney on with me to discuss matters. But for the topic tonight, I don't need an attorney. I don't need somebody else with a JD. No, for the topic tonight of moving From the hell that is public practice into the legal promised land, motherfucker. I've brought someone better. I've brought somebody who is directly impacted by the move into the heavenly gates of state work. But before we get to that, we got to talk about the legal news. So, I got three stories, they're all wonderful. The first one is really interesting. Uh, Last night, this is recorded the day after the midterm elections in November of 2022. Last night in four states, Alabama, Tennessee, Oregon, and Vermont, we have made a huge step forward because they banned slavery. 
It is 2022. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not exactly as what the fuck as it sounds like. The three... I'm sorry. This is the legal news. You're hearing somebody interrupt me. And what they don't understand is that this is the portion of the show where they keep their fucking mouth shut and I talk. Uh-uh. This is this is where they stay quiet. Did you miss what I just said? Where this is the portion. This is Boozy's portion. Okay. This is Boozy time. The praise and love that's come to shh, Isn't all the time boozy shh, time though? Shh, shh, shh. If you're watching, if you're watching other, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see it. But I'm making a little hand gesture as I shush my guests for the evening. This is my time. This is, I don't, hold on, you hold on. Turn how many? Off. How many people in this studio have a law degree? Raise your fucking hand. For the folks who aren't watching it live, there's one hand raised right now. One. Those who don't have the doctorate shall remain silent. <laughs> Let me go through the news. Let me actually talk about the story. I was going to ask a question. Yeah, but can I? Uh, maybe your question's answered by the statement I'm about to make. Okay, then. Anyways, as I was saying about. Alabama, Tennessee, Oregon, and Vermont banning slavery. This isn't uh, this isn't like oh they've never ratified something after the Civil War. What folks don't tend to understand is that the Thirteenth Amendment, which actually banned slavery in the wake of the Civil War, uh, didn't ban slavery. It didn't ban it. It actually uh, it banned slavery for most purposes, unless you were convicted of a crime. Uh, indentured servitude and slavery is still a valid punishment for convicted criminals in some states. Uh, it's where you hear chain gangs and convict leasing and things like that. All of that applies on there. Uh, what this vote was, was Alabama, Tennessee, Oregon, and Vermont saying, we're not going to do that anymore. We are going to, to outlaw the convict slavery question in that. Uh, this is on the heels of states like Colorado, Nebraska, and Utah having previously banned the use of slavery as a punishment for a criminal conviction. The key rule here is that a state cannot give less constitutional protection than the U.S. Constitution, but can give more. It, it can always give more. Um Fun fact, though, you, you would think that that's like a no shit, right? Now we now we can dialogue about this. Mm-hmm. You would think that's a no shit, right? Mm-hmm. Like convicts should not be uh, be sold out in slavery. You would think. You would think. Unless you're Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Louisiana had that on their ballot. Yeah. You notice Louisiana was not on the list of states that outlawed it. Well, because fucking Louisiana. Actually, no. The reasoning they gave, and this is this to me seems very much like bullshit reasoning. Mm-hmm. The wording on the ballot was confusing. Well, I mean, they go by Napoleonic codes. So, <laughs> I mean, they are backwards. I just, I just, how do you, how do you confusingly word the question? Hey. Should we allow convicts to be slaves? Well, <laughs> I don't. There's, there's you have, like you 
deep south who who still think chain gangs are a great idea. You've got you've got but you've gotta work you've gotta work to word that ballot question in a confusing manner. I, I would think that like ballot proposition one, amend our state constitution to outlaw slavery for convicts. That's a pretty clear statement, right? Yeah. What wording did they use? Um, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm getting the feeling that the wording they used was just cover for people to be like, fuck those guys, we got Angola, it's a prison farm. Is Eros in here? It, is it, I, I don't know. Maybe he could tell the, us what the, the, the ne- it said. The next story tonight, uh, on the track of lawyers behaving badly, uh, an attorney... A West Virginia attorney has been sanctioned after he was accused of billing more than 24 hours in one day, multiple times, while representing indigent clients. Uh, Attorney David R. Tyson of West Virginia was disbarred on November 3rd by the Supreme Court of Appeals of West Virginia. Uh, He had been admitted in 1980. He was disbarred for a case in which allegations were not made public because of his agreement to the license annulment. The suspension was in a case where he overbilled the public defender's office uh, by by more than $58,000 because he had represented indigent clients, people who can't afford lawyers, and on at least four different days, build more than 24 hours of legal work. Now, that alone is enough to get you uh, to get you disbarred. That that's enough, right there. That, that's enough at least for suspension. We have no real idea what he was disbarred for. They didn't release that. They then said on more than 11 days. He billed more than 15 hours. Wow. I want to say that sounds unrealistic. Well, 15 hours isn't unrealistic. Yeah, I, I, like billing it maybe. Yeah. Billing, it's not It's not a one-for-one one thing. It's well, not yeah, you no, work well, an I mean, hour, you bill an hour. Well, yeah. Yeah, and phone calls are different than, you know, like sending an email or, you know, doing research or, but... <sighs> Like still, like fifteen fifteen hours is like may happen if you're working on an, an intense case. It may yeah, happen. Yeah, I mean, like it could. If if I spent fifteen hours in the office doing one thing for fifteen hours straight, or I was in the office sixteen or seventeen hours, yeah, I could probably bill it. The rule of thumb on legal billing is that you should expect to be able to bill about one hour for every hour and a half to two hours you work. It's not a one-for-one thing. So to bill 15 hours on that rule, he would have had to have worked about 30 hours that day unless he was just pounding straight through. And billing 24 hours in a day means you didn't sleep. Mm-hmm. What he's accused of is something called bill padding. And bill padding is where, like, every phone call, regardless of how much time it takes, is a point two. Attorneys bill and tenth of an hour increments. All right, so every six minutes is a point one on it. And some firms will say we don't bill anything less than point two. And what they're really meaning is everything's billed at point two to start with. So if I talk to you on the phone 
for five minutes, I'm billing a point two, and you have five phone calls in five minutes. You've are uh, five five minute phone calls. You've spent twenty five minutes on the phone, but maybe you just billed an hour. That's called bill padding. It's highly unethical, and it's also how a lot of firms um, fucking survive these days. This guy got caught. Is what this guy, he got greedy. I, and not only was he unethical, because it's unethical to pad your bill no matter what, but he got greedy while being unethical. Yeah. And he probably did it specifically because he was working on an indigent client's case. Well, yeah, he can get away with it. And that sounds bad. I'm, I'm going to be honest, that sounds really bad, except for our third news story, no. which beats that one out. You're going to love this. Angel Antonio Castro III of New York was disbarred in the November 3rd opinion from the Appellate Division's First Judicial Department of the New York State Supreme Court uh, in connection with a loan for a client and the wrongful use of funds that were earmarked for a transcript and a secret court recording. That's right, a secret court recording. This motherfucker hid a camera in eyeglasses and walked into court to use it to record a matrimonial trial. It's a divorce case. He walked in with a hidden camera in eyeglasses to record a trial. The other allegations against our fucking James Bond attorney out here. Yeah, I was going to say, who, 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 is, who is his, uh, uh, who's on the case with him, Inspector Gatchett? <laughs> Miss Moneypenny is his paralegal. <laughs> <laughs> Pussy galore? Well, that's the client who filed the next claim against him. Um, so, in addition to being, uh, to being James Bond, uh, a client had given him $3,500 specifically for trial transcripts needed for an appeal. Uh, he deposited the check in his business account. Never bought the transcripts. Never, never bought them. Just used the fucking money. Left him 70 bucks. Never bought the transcripts. And then when, when he got called on it, on the advanced uh, costs, mm-hmm. said, oh no, that was a retainer. The fuck? That was, that was a retainer. I get to use it. That was a retainer. That was a retainer. Um, he also went to another client in 2017 to start his law practice and borrowed $100,000 from his client, drafted a loan agreement and a repayment plan for it, despite the self-dealing nature. Uh his client, how much do you think he repaid of that $100,000 loan? None. No, but no, no, no. He's a lawyer. He's obviously trust. Wouldn't you trust your lawyer if your lawyer came to you and said, hey, I know I'm representing you. Could you please give me a hundred grand? I want to open an office. I'd be like, I would tr- every, every lawyer is trustworthy, as we see from the other guy. The guy got to Sparta in West Virginia. Yeah, I mean, we've all watched Better Call Saul. We know lawyers. Um... Uh, no, he he repaid a quarter of it. He repaid twenty five thousand dollars of it. Better than nothing. Uh, so so what was Castro's response to these allegations for his disbarment? What what do you think he said? Do you think he said sorry? Do you think he admitted to everything? Do you think he? Oh, no, no, no. Are you sure? 
Are you sure? What he did, he admitted to everything. Uh, he, he said, "I made mistakes." This is a uh, pretty big mistake. Yeah, yeah, I I made mistakes, but there are plenty of mitigating factors, and certainly no malice or deceit. I will be pursuing whatever legal options I have available. <laughs> there was just where there was no malice or deceit. Uh, he better hope uh, he there. has. Uh, he better hope he has some of that seventy-five thousand uh, dollars left. I uh, it's 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 a thing. It's a thing. Um, so that um, welcome to lawyers behaving badly, motherfuckers. Uh, that is actually and it's it's fun because both of them tonight. Uh, had, you know, I'm I'm willing to bet that the recording of the court proceedings is not uh, the thing that got him disbarred. I'm a, what probably got him disbarred was the loan from the client that he never repaid and taking advanced costs and using them by saying they're a retainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, just much like the guy in West Virginia. You notice it wasn't the billing things that got him disbarred. They added into it, but that's not what got him disbarred. We don't know what got him disbarred. What got him disbarred was something... Completely different than those two. Those are just amazing examples of attorneys behaving badly. Uh, but it's really common, actually, in private practice. I, you, my guest, who I'm going to to allow to speak now, while wow, you are pissed off, I can tell. Like you, you folks cannot see the look that is being given to me in this studio right now. It is not fun. The shushing has earned me some bad fucking feelings. I can tell right now. Um, my guest tonight is not an attorney. No. Not not an attorney. That That's actually going to be part of the new format of the show moving forward uh, as I start to talk about law cases with laymen. Uh, and letting them ask questions as I'm describing the cases as we go through that. Uh, but my guest tonight is not an attorney. My guest tonight is somebody that has never appeared on Boozy's Legal Funhouse before. My guest tonight is my spouse. Yep. And why is my spouse my guest tonight? Well, that's really, really simple. Because uh, you had nobody else. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really the truth. That's, yeah, you know, all of my other guests were like, fuck you, and, and ran off. They're like, we know how this goes. No, it's because of my topic tonight. Two of the things we talked about in lawyers behaving badly were attorneys who got themselves in trouble over finances. And that's really common in the small practice world. It's it's amazingly common. There is so much pressure, especially when you're in a small firm or you're a solo practitioner. Someone's in the kitchen. When you're doing those things, it's amazingly common to get in trouble over finances because you're stressed constantly. You're working constantly. You're screaming at your bank account as the checks dwindle, and sometimes you make bad choices. Right? You have seen this happen. Not the bad choices part. <laughs> well, I mean, I've seen the aftermath of the bad choices. Yeah, you've seen the aftermath, but not not the bad choices part, but the stress, the constant, unyielding, 
stress of private practice. And that is actually uh, why the legal funhouse went on an over a year hiatus. I was working at a small general practice firm. I had been there for years and years. Uh, and the caseload, the, the support staff had gone away. The caseload had not. Uh, and I was killing myself. And I wasn't killing myself for a huge amount of money. No, no, you were not. No, I was not. Uh, if you go back and you listen to the episode on attorney mental health, you'll you'll understand that a bit. Uh, so I was sitting there and I was thinking, how can I get myself out of this situation? Because every door was closed to me. Every door. And then St. Peter kicked open my fucking door and said, there's a job opening with the government. You should apply. (laughs) A friend of mine who has actually appeared on the show before let me know that the government agency he works for was hiring attorneys. They had lost a good amount of their experienced litigation staff uh, and asked me to submit a resume. I sent it in. And two weeks later, I had been appointed to a position in that office. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm a government trial lawyer these days. And the financial burdens have melted the fucking away, like snow in the Antarctic. Yes, that's intentionally depressing. So what does that look like? How does it work out? What are the decisions that go into that? Well, the first one is money. I looked at what I made. I looked at what I would be making. There is a a significant number difference. Oh, very significant number difference. I actually, I, I bring home now less net than I did with the small firm. But you get paid by week. Yeah, I get paid more often. Um, so it's more overall over the course of the year and B, um, I have health insurance for the family, (laughs) not just for me now. Mm -hmm. It is the legal promised land. And before my days, 10, 11, 12 hour minimum days, minimum days not maximums not oh a long day is 10 hours 10 hours was the bare minimum of time i was in that office billing 7.5 hours a day every single day so my weeks were never less than 50 hours and many times much more than 50 hours with every case on that you know how long i work in a week for the government 37.5 hours that's full time and they expect me to go home at the end of it. Yeah, they don't want you to take over there, time. There is no stay in the office till midnight reviewing evidence. How actually does that work if you do need to stay for? I mean, like I I stay. Well, yeah, I stay. It's, I well, mean, that has we we haven't had a situation. No, yet we where you we, haven't, we haven't, and we probably won't. You know why? Because there's more than one fucking litigation attorney in that office. There's six litigation attorneys in that office. And you have support staff. There's support staff. I have a paralegal, motherfuckers. I haven't had a paralegal since 2018. 
I have a, I have, there are three paralegals in the fucking office, a legal secretary, an office manager, and a law clerk. We have a law clerk. There is a guy who got out of law school, got hired into our office, is going to take the bar in February. He'll be an attorney after that, and as long as the state government approves us for another attorney, then we'll have seven fucking attorneys in the office. But right now, you know what he does? He researches shit for me. And it's nice. It is very nice. My day starts at 8. My day ends at 4.30. And it doesn't actually start at 8 and end at 4.30. It starts when I walk in the office and it ends eight and a half hours later. So if I walk in the office at 6, I'm done at 2.30. I was told on my first day of government employ... I don't care how you get your time in, just get it in. Other benefits? I can work remote. I get I get to work remote. Obviously not for court. But... Yeah, like not for court. Like I can't just like show up in court like that. No. But it, it's it's such a new world. It really is. And I'm calling it the legal promised land. Because it is one of those jobs lawyers dream about. The other one being in-house counsel. You're an attorney for a corporation. But the problem is, is in-house counsel, you're not in court. You are, you're reviewing sales contracts. You're advising clients. The company is your client. And you're their lawyer. They're the only client you fucking have. And you're reviewing documentation. You're negotiating shit. But you don't show up in court very often. It's not very common for a company to have in-house counsel and an in-house litigation team. And I just, I'm a creature of the courtroom. I love it. So with this, I have one client. It is the agency. And my job specifically is go into court for them. Argue their hearings. Do their trials. Do some of their other shit. But that's it. I'm a fucking hired gun. It's wonderful. It's an amazing job with better pay benefits and, importantly, retirement. I have talked on here before, at length and in depth, about the fact that most attorneys don't actually get to retire. Most attorneys will reach a stage where they're getting their Social Security, maybe their 401k or their IRA is paying out, maybe they've got a little extra money coming in and they can cut down on the amount of work they do. But a lot of attorneys end up practicing until the day they die. They continue taking clients. They continue taking cases. They stay on as of counsel. Without going into too much detail, one of the other reasons on top of Everything went wild at the office. That the legal funhouse is only coming back now, a year after the last episode, is about a week after I recorded the October 2021 episode where I announced we were going to be coming back. My father, who I've spoken about and who has in the past agreed to be on the, the legal funhouse, had a massive heart attack. He, uh, he almost died. 
And uh, that was followed by a couple small heart attacks, several surgeries, and a direction from his doctor that he could no longer do litigation or trial work. My father, who's been practicing for over 40 years, has always been a litigation and trial attorney. That's what all of his cases are. That's the only thing he does. And his doctor was now telling him that the lifestyle and the stress and the strain from that was too much. His body could not take it anymore. He sold off or closed out his cases, and he closed his firm. He had to give back most of the retainers because a lot of it weren't earned fees at that point. And uh, he had a lot of financial trouble because he had never thought about the situation of what if I'm unable to work. And as that happened, as this job from the state came in and it was being offered to me, I looked at the retirement plan and I realized that for the first time in my career, if I took this job and if I stayed with this job all the way through for 28 years, in 2050, I can retire because the job has a pension. The job has a hybrid investment plan, and I'm paying into both of them. And those, plus my Social Security, will give us an income on par with what I was making four years ago with no children to support when I'm still in my 60s. I have, for the first time in my life, realized I can retire now. And honestly, for the first time in my life, I'm looking forward to living till 67. But how did I react when I first saw that? <laughs> I don't have to work till I die. Yeah, I think that's like, for the first time in my life, I want to live. Um, <laughs> you know, it was amazing to realize that. And it's such a load off my shoulder. And it's not just me. This is not just me bragging. This is not just me calling it that because I'm enjoying my work or I'm so happy. The first day on the job, I sat down. I was not the only experienced attorney this office hired in. This office had lost most of their most of their experienced staff, and it is the busiest office in the Commonwealth because it covers the largest number of cases uh, of the nature that we handle. And... Of a full staff of six attorneys, they were down to less than half of that. Active. active. Everybody else had left. They were gone. Just scurried on over to private practice. When I came in, another attorney hired with me was a 15-year veteran of the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office. Mm. And we sat at the conference table. And we looked at each other, and the first words out of their mouths were, how the fuck did we luck out? (laughs) Because for the first time, we have manageable caseloads. Staff, we have assigned work. And we get to go home at the end of the fucking day. Now, I have been bragging. 
I've been bragging. It is the legal fucking promised land. Uh, or as I've said, you know the difference. I may have a bunch of cases, but I only have one client. And they go home at 4.32. So, so it's the, there's no such thing as a midnight phone call. No shit. My deputy chief, the person in charge of our office, sent me an email on a Friday night at 9 p.m. I immediately started looking into something and responding. And um, their response was, hey, um, it's 9 p.m. on a Friday. I don't expect you to respond to anything till Monday. Enjoy the weekend with your family. Enjoy the weekend with your family? Not, I need you to come in on Saturday because I forgot to file something. Hey, and this is this is where I'm going to let you not hear it from me on the difference that a good job can make in the legal profession and why this is legal promise land. Because I'm going to brag. I, I, that's what I do. I'm a self-angrizing son of a bitch. I'm going to let you hear from my spouse. We had to put up with my miserable ass for the past decade. Yeah. Would you like to describe how this has changed things? Your home? Um, your home, like even with your commute, you know, you have a like 30 to 45 minute commute. Um, you're still home much soon, like hours sooner than you were at your office. That was five minutes up the street. You, uh, you're happier. You're more relaxed, more rested. Um, I love the fact that my spouse is like the first thing. What's the best thing? Your home. Oh, it makes it sound like they love me. No, no, that's a benefit for me. It's made them fucking miserable. Um. Well, I mean, no, because like I can like when the kids get off the bus, I can be like, hey, like you're working. But the kids are in the rooms. I can go to the store and not have to worry about taking all the children with me, which inevitably leads to higher grocery bills because, you know, the kids want things. Yeah, and and you know the great thing about this job? The best part about this job? I can afford to give the kids things now. (laughs) We can go to Costco all the time. So how does this tie in to it being the legal promised land? Why is this a legal funhouse topic? Well, once again, uh, number one, while I was joking somewhat earlier, I wasn't really joking. Uh, the person who was going to start the law and the layman with me tonight uh, backed the fuck out <laughs> with me on my, we were going to record it Monday. They backed the fuck out uh, Two, how do you get there? Several years ago, I had applied for in-house counsel jobs. Uh, one of them actually very strongly considered me. Uh, called and offered, but I wasn't willing to to take the job for what they were offering. And it probably wouldn't have been a good fit. I'm a creature of the courtroom. I enjoy being in court. It's why be- I didn't become a lawyer just to stare at papers. That's 90% of the job, but it's the 10% of fun in the courtroom that makes the 90% worth it. So I, I didn't take that job. And I had applied for positions with the state in the past, but uh, I wasn't as experienced. My record in hell is what got me to heaven. <laughs> I, I, somebody, Big Daddy Jesus up at the state capitol, looked at my resume and said, oh, this poor soul served his fucking time. Let's bring him in. 
really, though, that is the truth. Well, I watched the interview, too. I mean, you kind of nailed it, but you wouldn't have nailed it had you not had experience. Had I not known what the fuck I was doing. Yeah. And that that's one of the reasons I got the position. And it's one of the reasons that my colleague, who came in on the same time as me, got the position. We were not attorneys they had to train to do the basics of lawyering. The state wants those guys. The state probably wants those guys more than they want guys like me, to be honest. Because those are people they can bring in, they can throw stuff on, they can train up, and they can make them the rank and file. And they can pay them less. Well, that's always the benefit of hiring a brand new attorney, Mm -hmm. is you can pay them less. Yes. Like my buddy, by the way, my buddy who who told me about the job, uh, we were discussing our salaries. Not a fucking secret. State employees. We can look up our own salaries. It's a public record. Um, we were discussing our salaries, and I, I may have told him what my starting salary is, and his response was, that's more than I make by a significant amount. And I said, well, I guess I just fucking interview better than you. Um, and he's been there for a few years. Very good attorney, by the way. Very good. But when they hired him in, he didn't have as much experience in the area, so he got on a different payment track than I'm on. He got in it. We're the same grade, but he got in a lower track on the same grading. Uh, And the raises come a little slower on that track. But, yeah, it's good money. You can't beat it. How did I get it? Experience. They needed attorneys who could hit the ground running, whose hands they didn't need to hold in the courtroom all the time. Maybe, and I'll, I'll admit, some of the shit we do... It, it took me a few weeks to get up to speed on what I'm doing. Because I don't handle the same type of things in private practice that I do now. Yes. But, you're a month in and you're already doing like... You're already fixing other people's fuck-ups. Yeah, that's just a skill every lawyer who's practicing a courtroom has. If, if you've never had a client come into you and say, my last attorney screwed this up, can you fix it? Are you really practicing law? Well, no, but, I mean, it's different in your area because, like, they're not just going to hand that to the baby lawyer. And what, what was it like switching? I had been in private practice for a, a while. And I'll be honest, I stayed where I was out of fear. I was scared that I wouldn't get a better position. Uh, I stared where I was out of a weird sense of dedication. And I stayed where I was because of my clients. My clients in private practice were always at the foremost of my mind and my worries. There were times you would come to the office late at night and what would I be doing? Still working on crap? Because my clients needed me. So taking that leap from it, the hardest part, it wasn't telling my boss. That worried me because my boss was not the best person to deal with. Um, Taking that leap required telling my clients, I'm leaving. That was hard. That was difficult. I had clients who would say, you know, I don't think you're going to like your new job because you won't be doing this. Uh, I had a couple clients who, God bless them, uh, I left in the best manner I could. I recommend that everybody stay with the firm. Uh, (laughs) And I had one client who looked at me 
and said, and as I finished extolling the virtues of the firm and said, they're good lawyers, they're going to help you, looked me dead in the eyes and said, yeah, but they're not you. And that melted my heart. It made me reconsider whether I really wanted to leave private practice and that type of one-on-one -on -one connection with clients for like half a second. Because then I remembered there were things like my family gets health care and I can retire at some point in my fucking life. And, oh yeah, we can buy groceries again. Mm-hmm. But that was the most difficult part because I didn't get into law to get rich. I got into law to make a living. I want to make a living. It'd be nice to be rich, but I got into law to make a living and I got into law to help people. Uh, and losing that one-on-one -on -one connection really worried me. And then I realized I have one client, but my client has many faces. It, it, it has many heads. I have the cerebus of an agency. I deal on any given day with five to six different people from five to six different departments at that agency. And each one of them is like a brand new client with a brand new need. So dealing with those people and dealing with them on a personal level because the agency I work for, thank God, much of the work in my office is done on a personal level with people. It's helped. It's helped a lot. I, uh, I did like, during my interview process, they had asked me, are you comfortable talking directly to clients? And <laughs> I laughed for five minutes straight. On it. Are you comfortable being in court? I laughed for five minutes straight. Are you comfortable giving bad news to people? Yes, very. I even enjoy it. Mm. <clears throat> so that is my trip. From, uh, from general practice, private practice, to the legal promised land of government work, a steady paycheck, good benefits, a pension, and... To a large extent, my explanation, my apology for why these have not kept up. And my promise now, even though I said I wasn't going to give you one, that I'll be able to do them more often. Maybe not on the weekly schedule, but at least bi-weekly, we're going to get back to doing episodes of the Legal Funhouse. As always, though, it's you all who helped me do it. Now, we're going to do a, a slightly different format. I'm going to have somebody come on. We're going to talk about legal cases and the principles on it because I really want to hear how laymen react to some of the fucking lawsuits that come down the pike that have set standards in this great nation. And especially when we get to the facts of the cases. But it's nice to be back. That said, as listeners of my prior episodes know during every one of these i take questions from my patreon supporters to determine where the hell is my my notes my thingy ah the cat's laying on it <laughs> to determine what issues they want discussed so let's go over to the discord server which by the way if you become a supporter over at patreon.com slash lawyers and liquor you immediately have access to and see what questions have been asked. Head Foxen, a longtime supporter, a longtime friend, and I think he'll allow me to say this now, a former client, 
has come in and said, you're in the middle of a suit, but your lawyer moves on. What next? <laughs> okay, listen, motherfucker. We weren't in the middle of the suit. Your 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 matter was done. Okay? There's like one document you have to sign. I took care of everything else. Um, uh, very honestly, the method that you, you leave a firm, when an attorney leaves a firm, there's a, a lot of different ways to handle that. The suggested method is what they call the joint letter to the client. And it's a letter from the attorney who's leaving the firm and a letter from the firm. Right? And that letter goes out and it's basically as of X date. Uh, you know, I, I'm on this because I, uh, I'm the attorney who, who was handling it. And I'm sending you this letter to let you know that as of X date, I'm no longer going to be with this office. Uh, if you're going to another office or you're striking out on your own office, what you tend to put in that letter is, you know, you have a number of options. One of them is you can follow me. You can uh, you can transfer your file to my new office and I'll continue to represent you. Uh, you can leave your file with this office and they'll continue to represent you or you can ask for your file back and locate a new attorney. Uh, obviously, in a situation like mine, my letter said, I am leaving private practice uh, and I arranged actually for another attorney at the firm to enter their appearance in all the cases I had pending. And I put that in the letter, you know, so-and-so has entered their appearance so there is no lapse in representation. Uh, however, you know, in my case, it was, I strongly suggest you allow them to continue handle their matter. I've been familiar with them. Uh, you also have the right to request the return of your file and find new counsel if you so wish. Uh, it's been a pleasure serving you all that. That is the preferred way to go. It, it's to know for your clients. You need to go good advance notice. Enough notice that it's meaningful. Like, don't just call them up on your last day, Tim, minutes for a while. Hi, Earl. Yeah. Yeah, you know your divorce here tomorrow? Somebody else got to handle it. I'm done. Bye. Click. Walk the fuck out. Give them advance notice. You give them enough advance notice that they can do that. If you're in the middle of something, uh, like say there is a hearing scheduled, and uh, the hearing is two days after your last day at the firm, and you're going to a job like I was, where you're not allowed to represent private clients outside of it. Uh what you do is you send them that letter and then you tell the court, Hey, I'm leaving. I need to withdraw. And can they get a stay of any matters or a continuance of that hearing so they can please go and find another attorney. Most of the time, the court will give it to them. Most of the time, the court will give that to them because the court doesn't want to jam the lawyer up. They know the lawyer's moving on. Uh, in my case, I actually, the the day I received and accepted my appointment from the government, because it's, it's an appointed position. I'm appointed by the governor. Uh, the day I received my offer of appointment and accepted it, uh, I was going down to the courthouse, and I made sure everybody at the fucking courthouse knew. And Well, I didn't really make sure everybody knew. I made sure one judge that is a gossip knew, and the, the, the clerk knew, because I knew the clerk would spread it around. The idea being that the word would get around, he's leaving. If he's got a case pending in front of you, he's probably going to ask for a continuance. In that situation, most judges know you're going. And they'll let you out. As a favor to you, they will let you out. Uh, 
what happens, Weather Fox as a follow-up says, what happens if the court doesn't give that and why wouldn't they? Uh, most of the time they will. It doesn't happen very often that they wouldn't in that situation. The primary reason, though, that the court wouldn't is uh, because everything's been delayed for so long. You see that a lot, actually, in like criminal matters where a defense attorney will try to withdraw right before trial. And the judge is like, nope, fuck you. You're in. You're in and you're staying in. Uh, you'll see it sometimes in civil matters, same thing. It's been delayed so many times and the judge is like, no, fuck you. You're in and you're staying in. Uh, if you're like me and you're leaving on a set date, what happens at that point is you contact the new employer and say, hey, I have to appear for this hearing. You know, the court will not let me out. They have not been able to obtain a new attorney. Uh, because of the nature of our jobs, uh, most places are aware that your ability to withdraw is premised on the court allowing you to or new counsel coming in and will understand that the court may not allow you to withdraw and that you may still have to handle that matter at least through the next pending thing before you withdraw. Uh, and then, you know, they'll be heard together. Like, you'll you'll go in for the hearing, have the hearing, and the court will be like, okay, bye. You know, now, now that we've done this, I'm granting your motion to withdraw. Mm-hmm. Go go on. Uh, but that can happen. I actually, when I took the job with my last office, uh, had to do that. I, I was appointed to defend somebody in a criminal matter. Uh, the day after my appointment, I got offered the job. And I had to ask the court to let me out and reappoint new counsel. And they did that fine. They, mm-hmm. But there was a chance that I, I would have to handle that case. Uh, because the court didn't have to let me out. Uh, it's very rare, though, that the court wouldn't let you out. <clears throat> also from Head Foxen, what things that a private lawyer can do that a government lawyer can't? I ass- assume that is supposed to be what are things that a private lawyer can do that a government lawyer can't? The biggest one is represent private clients. Uh, outside of that, there's not a whole lot. Um I should not, uh, I, because I'm appointed position, not a civil service position, not all the political rules apply to me. Uh, however, it is a manner of good practice to not involve myself in politics at the state level. Uh, first of all, because I am a, an employee of the state. Uh, secondly, it's an appointed position, which means it's an at-will position, which means if my involvement becomes known and then the guy that I didn't support wins, they, they can fire my ass. Yeah. Um, so, so a lot of government lawyers stay the hell out of that. Um, outside of that, there's not a lot that we can't do. Uh, we're not allowed to represent private clients without the express permission of the government. Um... But really, there's not a lot of difference uh, when it comes down to what I can and can't do. It's like any job. You know, if I was working as in-house counsel for a company, the company would not want me rep- uh, representing private clients either. Quaxomifitida uh, asks, do I still appear in front of the same judges? Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the counties i have assigned counties that i that i appear in on a weekly basis for specific types of matters that are being heard in those counties every week uh both of the assigned counties that i work in 
Both of the assigned counties that I work in are counties I've worked in for a while and that I know all of the judges in uh, already and that they know me. I appear in front of them on a regular basis. Uh, one of the counties, actually, is my home county. It's the one that I practiced in for years. Uh, they actually have not sent me down for my first official court appearance in that county yet for the specific reason they want to make they they want people to understand when I appear that I'm appearing for a government agency now, and they were worried that if I started making appearances immediately, uh, that they would continue treating me as a private attorney instead of a representative of the government when I appear. But yeah, I, I continue to appear in front of all of the same judges that I appeared in front of before, uh, including some new ones who have never seen me before no. out there. Uh, so it's, it's nice. I've got a question. Can you still, t- can you still take uh, court staff uh, cookies? No, but the office can. <laughs> so I was gonna say, like as a government employee, we had weird rules about gifts. I can't receive gifts. Yeah, I, I I'm not allowed to receive gifts from people that the government deals with uh, directly in the course of my work. I, I'm not allowed to do that. Uh, another kind of follow up that's not really a question that was asked is, uh, but I want to address it is how do other attorneys treat me? Right now, some of the attorneys are getting used to me. Uh, especially in my assigned counties, the ones that I I didn't already know uh, that are practicing in this area uh, have a tendency, oh, you're the new guy with the agency. Well, you're going to love the practice of law and uh, things like that and, and treat me like a baby attorney right up until the arguments start and it becomes clear, no, I'm not brand new. Uh, <laughs> this is I'm new to the agency. I'm not new to practice. Uh, are there any others? Because we, we have a couple minutes left. And uh, for the people who are listening to this later, I have the chat up on our live stream over at twitch.tv slash where we record these. Uh, are there any other questions over there uh, that may want to be asked in the last few minutes, the last two minutes we have before we end this episode of Boozy's Legal Funhouse? I'll, uh, I'll chat for a moment because I know you all are operating on a bit of a delay. What's the funniest instance so far of, oh, he knows what he's doing? Um, there, <laughs> Expert testimony occurs frequently in, in my new field. Expert testimony and some testimony from certain government officials uh, in a penalty matter. And... Um, it was a medical issue, and I was being treated as if I had no fucking clue what I was doing, and their expert took the stand and testified as to how this person couldn't possibly have understood anything uh, because they had such a massive head injury, and that was clear. But I had actually received and read the expert report in advance, and as the representative of my agency looked over and started to, to try to say something to me, I held up one hand and said, Watch this. And when the expert on cross, my first question on cross was, what was the name of the emergency room doctor that treated them? (laughs) And the expert said, I don't know. And I go, is that because you never actually reviewed the hospital records from the date of the injury? (laughs) Well, I, so you reached a expert opinion 
that the injury was so severe they couldn't have understood what was being said to them, but you never actually reviewed the records that would indicate that injury was severe or had even occurred. And the other attorney's eyes shot over. It was something along the lines of, well, obviously they couldn't have done this thing because they are people of means Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't have done this. And I looked at the expert and I said, is it your expert opinion that rich people don't make mistakes? Um, that, that was personally, right then, that was when the other attorney went, fuck. <laughs> fuck, they didn't hire somebody who doesn't know what he's doing. Um, so that, that's probably the best one as to date. And with that story, um, I am going to call this episode of Boozy's Legal Funhouse over. If you tuned in live as we were recording it, thank you so much for doing so. If you're listening later on one of the podcasts, I promise it's going to be better next time. Uh, A lot of the popping, uh, a lot of the interruptions, we had a lot of the background noise is going to be gone. I actually am not in the studio tonight. I'm sitting in my living room recording this. Uh, simply because I, I am still cleaning my studio up after almost a year of absence from it and setting it back up. But in two weeks, when you tune back in for episode 22, as we talk about, I shit you not, caveat in tour, real estate disclosures, and a murder-suicide, and the Supreme Court case that tied them all together, things should be a lot clearer and a lot better. I want to thank everybody who hung in there with me and asked me when this was coming back over the past year. I kept telling you it would be. We're keeping that promise. If you're one of the Patreon supporters, thank you so much. Once again, you can be one over at patreon.com slash lawyersandliquor. This has been Boozy's Legal Funhouse. I want to thank you for joining me this week, and I will see you next time. Take care of yourself and each other, and good night.